This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion one verse at a time. Welcome to another episode of the One Verse Podcast. I am your teacher, Jeremy Myers. Today, we're looking at Genesis 3-7, and Genesis 3, 6, and 7 are the central two verses of Genesis chapters 2 and 3. Last week, we looked at Genesis 3, 6 and learned a foundational truth about humanity, and today we consider Genesis 3, 7 and see another foundational truth from this important verse. Before we look at that, though, I wonder if you'd like to join me in taking some online courses from N.T. Wright. He is the leading New Testament scholar in the world today. I've signed up for a couple of his classes online and have found them to be extremely beneficial. I enjoy his books as well, but his classes, it's a good way to learn from him directly. You don't get college credit for them, but you do get the valuable information to help you understand Jesus, the Gospels, and the letters of Paul. He even has a class on Christian worldview and the Gospels. Anyway, I'm going to start taking his class on Romans pretty soon. I've taken two of his others. And if you want to take classes from N.T. Wright as well, I have links to the classes on my website. They're on the sidebar of the website, so all you have to do is go to pretty much any blog post on the website and look to the right if you're on a a, uh, desktop computer. If you're on a cell phone or something, you'll probably have to scroll to the bottom. They'll be down there at the, at the bottom, at the end of the post, I imagine. And uh, there's six courses to choose from. One on Jesus, one on the Gospels, one on Worldview, and three on various letters of Paul, Galatians, Philippians, and Romans. And uh, pick the one you want, sign up for it, take it at your own speed. Right now, the courses are all for $50 or less. So uh, they're extremely affordable. And uh, you buy it once, you have it forever. Anyway, to sign up, just go to any blog post. Uh, In fact, you could go to the show notes for this episode. Go to redeeminggod.com slash Genesis 3-7 and uh, look for the notes there on the right sidebar. So with that in mind, let's dive into our study today of Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. So I, I don't really consider myself to be a very funny person. Um, you know, I, I mean, well, I, I, I sort of think I have a sense of humor. <laughs> I find my, my humor to be funny, but I've discovered that most people don't realize when I'm trying to be funny. My wife can attest to that, and she understands my sense of humor, but, but uh, not very many other people do. I have a different sense of humor than, than many other people have. Uh, my wife says I have a scholar's sense of humor, which I, I think that's a nice way of saying I don't have much of a sense of humor at all. So anyway, when I say that Genesis 3-7 is funny, <laughs> uh, you have to recognize that when I tell you it's funny, you know, when I tell you why it's funny, you're, you're probably not going to laugh. Uh, but hopefully you will smile a bit because Genesis chapter 3 verse 7 is funny. And to think about it, isn't that a little bit odd? I mean, if you were to ask the average Christian, 
where everything went wrong in the Bible, you know, where humanity, everything started off so great. What happened? You know, what went wrong in God's plan for this world? Well, most Christians would point to Genesis 3, 6, and 7. These two verses are the beginning of all the bad stuff in the Bible uh, and in world history. Uh, You know, when women give birth and they experience all this pain, a lot of times they curse Eve for eating that forbidden fruit. When men hate their jobs and curse the ground for producing only weeds, we, you know, we badmouth Adam for eating the forbidden fruit. And that's what happens in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 3. And and, and it all started to go wrong in in chapter 3, Genesis 3, 6 and 7. This is where the human race took their first wrong turn. And yet, strangely, when properly read, the text, these verses, are very humorous. Well, maybe not very humorous, but they are humorous. And I am convinced the humor is intentional. Uh, And that's because it tells us something very important about the problem with the human race. So before we get to the humor of the text, I want to point out to you the revolutionary truth, the foundational insight in the text. You likely recall that as we've been working our way through Genesis chapters 2 and 3, I have been pointing out several foundational insights, revolutionary truths from the text. Uh, These truths I have told you will not only help you understand Scripture better, but will also help you understand God, yourself, uh, your spouse, your children, your neighborhood, culture, politics, why we go to war, (laughs) pretty much every aspect of human interaction, these foundational truths will help you understand. So far, we have looked at three of these, and they are this. We saw in Genesis 2.18 that humans are built for relationships. In Genesis 2.19 through Genesis 3.5, we saw that humans are made to imitate. And then last week, from Genesis 3.6, we saw that imitation awakens desire. And I don't have time to review all those and why those are foundational, fundamental, uh, revolutionary. So if you want to learn more about those, then uh, just go back and listen to some of the previous episodes to understand why those three truths are foundational, revolutionary. All right? The fourth foundational truth, which we're looking at from Genesis 3.7, is that desire creates rivalry. Now, uh, the the truth was also seen in verse 6. I didn't mention it a whole lot there, uh, but we see it here in verse 7, and we will also see it in more detail in verse 16. Uh, well, it's not just there. This this truth is found all over the place in the Bible uh, and all over human culture and civilization. And, and that's one of the reasons why it makes it so important to understand. So desire, what we looked at last week, is sort of the feeling or emotion of wanting what someone else has. It's uh, the action of, of, of coveting or trying to obtain what someone else has. You can sort of think of that if desire is coveting what someone else has, then rivalry is actively attempting to take it, actively trying to to get it for yourself. So in verse 6, and then here in verse 7, what we see Adam and Eve doing is they have come into rivalry with God. They desired what God had, and now they are actively trying to obtain it for themselves. We've seen this in previous episodes. We, we, we saw when uh, Eve imitated the serpent in their, their conversation about how 
the fruit would open her eyes to make her wise like God. And this caused the awakening of desire. She desired what really what she thought the serpent was desiring, or, or maybe she thought the serpent already had it, because remember back in verse 1, it said the serpent was crafty, more crafty. Um, and that could be, you know, she could have thought that that came from the wisdom of God. Somehow maybe the serpent had it, maybe the serpent ate the fruit. We don't know really what she was thinking, but but she imitated the serpent in this desiring the wisdom of God. This conversation she had in verses 1 through 5 led Eve to believe that God was withholding wisdom from her. Uh, that, that made it scarce and therefore all the more desirable. Rivalry springs from desire. The rivalry that springs from desire is is this fourth foundational and revolutionary truth of Genesis 2 and 3. When we desire what someone else has, it it creates this rivalry. And the rivalry might be with God, as we see here, with Adam and Eve desiring or almost being at rivalry with God. Obviously, the rivalry, the way we most often experience it, is with one another. And uh, we'll see how this rivalry with God here in verse 6 and 7 turns into rivalry with one another. That's going to be what we see primarily in verse 16. All right, and so so what is it that God had that they desired and they are now trying to to obtain for themselves? Well, it's referred to as wisdom in verse 6, but ultimately, uh, as seen in verse 5 and then here in verse 7, It's not just wisdom. It's the wisdom or the discernment of being able to decide between good and evil. And this, you recall, is is what was symbolized by the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Uh, this, This tree represents, or it is the activity which God reserved for himself, the activity of judging between right and wrong, between good and not good. And... God invited, remember there was these seven key activities of God in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and God invited the humans to imitate him in all seven of these activities. But the one area that he reserved for himself is this activity of deciding or judging between good and evil. And the reason you remember that that God reserved this for himself is because he alone has all knowledge. He alone is omniscient. And that knowledge, being omniscient, is what is needed in order to make correct judgments. And so God said, look, I alone am going to make correct judgments between what is right and wrong. So don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't try to imitate me in this area. Let me and me alone make these judgments between good and evil, right and wrong, good and not good. All right, so here in verse 7 then, Having eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve find themselves in rivalry with God, and they set out to make some judgments of their own, some decisions about what is, what is good and not good. Right? And, and how did this rivalry play out? How did it work out when Adam and Eve tried to play God? How, how do we see this rivalry in the text? Well, for example... Uh, Back at the end of Genesis 1, you might remember, God saw all that he had made and saw that it was very good. All right, but then in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, God basically tells Adam uh, that he should not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that, that that fruit is not good. Eating from it will lead to death. But notice that in Genesis 3, 6, 
Even though God had judged that the fruit from the tree was not good for humans, the text says, when Eve looked at it, she saw that it was good. So right there is a little bit of rivalry. She is disagreeing with God. She basically said, I don't know what God's talking about. It looks good to me. It's very pleasing to the eyes. And then notice that after they eat from the tree, the first decision they make is that they are naked. And they become ashamed of their nakedness, and they try to cover themselves up with fig leaves. And again, do you remember what was said at the end of Genesis chapter 2? At the end of Genesis chapter 1, God saw that he made it was very good. Okay, and then Eve contradicts this when she eats from the tree. And then at the end of Genesis chapter 2, so the last verses of both of those chapters come back in, in, in Genesis 3, 6, and 7. And then at the end of Genesis chapter 2, we read that they were both naked and were not ashamed. Well, now, after they eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they discover that they are naked and they are ashamed. And they decide that it is not good for them to be naked. That's why they try to cover themselves up with fig leaves. So the fig leaves also are somewhat of an act of rivalry with God. Uh, They not only are disagreeing with God's decision on the matter, that they were naked and unashamed, and that's okay, that's the way God made them to be, but then also, when they set out to correct what they think is wrong, that they're naked, and they use this fig leaves, even, even that is sort of an act of rivalry with God. This, remember, one of the things they were supposed to imitate God in is creation. Humans are creative beings, and we're supposed to imitate God in, in, in creating things. So this here is their first creative act in the text. God was a creator, and they're going to do a little creation of their own. And what do they do? They decide to create some clothes for themselves. They don't do a very good job of it because they're out of fellowship with God at this point. And uh, we'll see later in the text that God shows them a better way of making clothes for themselves. Creating itself was not the act of rivalry with God. Um, That is one of the things they were supposed to imitate God in. But God wants us to imitate him in, what's that first foundational truth? In relationship with him and with one another. And so what happens here is when they try to create, when they try to imitate God's creative creativity, when they are out of fellowship with God, the best they can come up with is fig leaves, as clothes, all right? And then it's here where we see some of the humor in the text. T- to see it, I-, I would sort of invite you, even though I sort of summarize what's going on here, forget everything you've ever read about Genesis. Act like you've never heard the story. So you pick up or someone comes along and they're telling you about this God in Genesis 1, his wisdom and his power in creating everything and it's beautiful and glorious, all right? You don't know what's coming. You're just, wow, this God is so amazing. The crowning achievement of his creation is he makes mankind and makes, makes man in his image and likeness together, male and female, and he calls them, invites them, instructs them to imitate him in everything he does, except for this one thing of judging between good and evil, right and wrong. That's Genesis 1, Genesis chapter 2. And you're just thinking, wow, this is an amazing story. What's going to happen? If that's the case, how come, how come we're in this mess today? So in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent comes along and says, wow, it sure would be nice to be like God. Imagine what you could do, the serpent says to the woman. Imagine the wisdom you could have. I mean, look at God and look at yourself. He is clearly holding back something from you. The serpent goes on and says, but if you ate 
fruit from this tree, then, then you would finally be like God. You'll be so amazing and glorious and powerful and wise, just like God. Okay, And you sort of see how the text is building up to this. God's glory, God's power, God's wisdom. God says, don't eat this. And the serpent comes along and says, yeah, but what is God holding back from you? If you, if you ate from this, then you would truly be like God. You're going to be so wise. You're going to be amazing. And you can sort of feel, again, don't think ahead to the rest of the story. You can feel the tension building, the excitement, the, the curiosity, the air of expectation. And so then in verse 6, they eat from the fruit. And now here in verse 7, we get to see what happens to them. We get to see how powerful and wise and glorious they have become. And the way verse 7 is written, it really draws it out. I'm convinced that the text is intended to be read slowly and with many pauses for the tension to build up. It's like those TV shows. You ever watch these TV shows where the, you know, the contestants, it's one of these, these, uh, these contest TV shows where there's 10, 12, I don't know, four contestants, whatever. And they're all standing there. The votes have come in. They've been tallied up. And the announcer is holding that little envelope, you know, where all the votes are counted. It's got the winner. And he's slowly, he's, you know, he, he says, I've got the winner here in this envelope. And then he pauses and he slowly opens it. And he says, and the winner is. And everybody's on the edge of their seats. He goes on, with the greatest number of votes. Although the vote was quite close, only one by two votes, I am a proud to announce to you the grand champion, the people's choice. And you know, he's just dragging it out. And everyone's like, come on, just announce it already. That's how to read verse seven. All right. In verse six, they ate the fruit and it's been building up. What would happen if they ate it? Are they going to become wise like God? What's going to happen? Are they going to gain wisdom? And so verse 7, here's how to read it. So, the eyes of both of them were opened. And, and then, you know, with this newly obtained divine wisdom, they discovered, they came to know, and we're like, yes, yes, what is it? What did they come to know? <laughs> and here's what they came to know. That they were naked. <laughs> they were like, what? That's it? With all this newly acquired divine wisdom, all they learned was that they were naked? Well, we already knew that. That was back from Genesis 2.25. And they're just now coming to the understanding that they don't have clothes on? This is what the wisdom of God achieved for them. I'm not the only one who's noticed this humor. Gordon Wenham, in his commentary on Genesis, he says, The actual consequences, mentioned in a very matter-of-fact way, are so comic as to be hilarious, were it not for the seriousness of the subject. <laughs> uh, that's a good point. Uh, and by the way, this word naked here, if you're, if you're uh, you know, wondering... Remember, it is, they were mentioned as naked back in 2.25. And then, if you remember from our study of Genesis 3.1, the serpent is described as crafty, but the word crafty there in Hebrew is also the word for naked. The same word that was used in 2.25, very similar. So what word for naked is used here? Well, here the word has been changed a little bit. All right, it is Irom now. 
Uh, it's still similar, but it is, it is different than the word used in 2.25 and 3.1, and uh, that shows that their nakedness has changed. This, this word is also used in, in uh, 3.10 and 11. Anyway, that first word used back in 2.25 and 3.1, it had undertones of wisdom and of craftiness to it. Here, though, the word used for naked here in 3.7 doesn't carry that same connotation, that same idea. It, 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 it's never used in, a, in, a, in reference to being crafty or wise anywhere else in the Bible, unlike that, that other one back in, in 3.1. So here, um, they've actually lost wisdom. That's more sort of Hebrew humor in the text. The second word for naked now has no sense of wisdom to it at all. So in all their wisdom, they discovered the, the, you know, the most revolutionary, shocking truth that they're naked. Uh, but it turns out that this nakedness is even less wise than what they had originally. So the text is very anticlimactic, and it really, sort of as, as Gordon Wenham mentioned there in his commentary, it's really sad. But, but it is also humorous, and, and, you know, we don't need to laugh at what happened to them, but the way the text is written, it does present their plight in a humorous light. And actually, it's, it's even a little funnier than that, uh, than simply the discovery, you know, the amazing groundbreaking discovery that they're naked. Because in the text, when they discover with their great wisdom and insight that they have finally achieved, what do they do? The first thing they try to do is cover themselves up with fig leaves. <laughs> fig leaves. I don't know if you've ever seen a fig leaf. We had a fig tree in our yard when we first moved into our house about four years ago. And I'd never seen a fig tree before. I remember looking at the really large leaves on the tree and thinking, well, they would cover you up pretty good. <laughs> that must be why Adam and Eve chose fig leaves. But then I picked a fig leaf and I felt it. Have you ever felt a fig leaf? It has the texture of sandpaper. <laughs> well done, Adam and Eve. Well done. With your divine, newly gained wisdom, you first discovered that you were naked, and then, to fix your problem, you chose sandpaper as your clothes. Ah, <laughs> uh, That's why I absolutely love what God does in verse 21. We'll be looking at this later, but just sort of think about it for a minute, how important that verse is. After the three of them, God, Adam, and Eve have this little conversation about what's happened. God basically says, oh, and about those fig leaves, are you really comfortable in that? Let me help you out. And verse 21 says he gives them clothes to wear. So it just shows some of the tender mercy of God, but uh, it's not forcing them to wear sandpaper to cover their private parts anymore. <laughs> anyway, that's verse 7. It is sort of humorous. Did you laugh? Well, I don't know. Hopefully you smiled a bit. But all the build-up, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3, how they would become like God, knowing good and evil, gaining wisdom and insight, all it amounts to is that they learn they're naked, and then they, when they try to fix the problem, they cover themselves up with fig leaves. The serpent in Genesis 3 is the first used car salesman in history, right? He, he sold them a lemon for sure. But the question is, I want to ask you, is why didn't it work? Why didn't they immediately come to understand, you know, the deepest secrets of the universe? Why didn't Adam, he eats the fruit, and first thing out of his mouth is, 
E equals MC squared. <laughs> you know, Einstein's theory of relativity. Uh, why didn't the two of them start inventing space travel and quantum physics? Instead, the greatest thing they come up with is, hey, we're naked. Uh, let's cover ourselves with fig leaves. <laughs> Here's why. The reason they couldn't do any better is because they didn't know any better. Remember, the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil is not the tree of knowledge. We want to make sure we don't confuse the two. By eating from the tree, they, they don't gain knowledge of all things. They don't gain infinite understanding like God has. They don't become omniscient, all-knowing. All they do is gain the desire to act like God in judging deciding between good and evil. That's what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is. And so remember, we, again, we, we had these seven activities, really eight, ultimately, when you, when you count deciding between good and evil, declaring what is good and what is not good. Uh, and God said, of these seven, these first seven, I want you to imitate me in, but not this eighth one. And the reason is because you don't have the knowledge, the necessary knowledge. You don't know everything. The human brain cannot contain this sort of knowledge, which means I don't want you to try to make these judgments. Leave all such judgments up to me. That's what God is saying. And so when they ate from this tree, it didn't give Adam and Eve knowledge. All it gave them was the feeling, hey, well, I'm smart enough. I can make judgments like God makes judgments if I want to. I know enough. And so how did they do? Well, back to the humor. <laughs> they discover that they're naked. They judge that it's wrong for them to be naked, which disagrees with God's judgment. And then they try to make clothes for themselves, which also ends up to be another bad judgment because they end up with sandpaper clothing. The ultimate truth here is that when we go against what God has said, this is often how it turns out for us as well. God tells us not to do something and we look at it and we say, well, it looks pretty good to me. But then, when we try it out, usually the only thing we discover is exactly what God already told us, that it was bad for us. We make judgments about things that differ from how God has judged them to be. We, we see things and decide, eh, God doesn't know all the facts. He doesn't know what he's talking about. God's determination on this is wrong. We think we know better. We act on our own judgments rather than on God's, and all we end up is doing is hurting ourselves. Damaging our relationships, making sandpaper clothing. By the way, I, I, I've mentioned this in previous podcasts, and I've tried very hard in my episodes. I think I've messed up a few times. Have you noticed that I try not to refer to, about, refer to this as sin? Sin is not mentioned here. Sin is not mentioned until Genesis chapter 4. It's a very good reason for that, which we will discuss when we get to Genesis chapter 4. It has to do with all of these foundational truths we're building upon. All right, so we'll talk about that more when we get there. But the point sort of in closing out is this. The story is sad, all right, but it's also a little humorous. There's humor in this. I sort of sometimes think God watches Adam and Eve eat from this tree, sees what they do with it, and he's not up there scowling or angry at them. He, he's doing more of a face palm. <laughs> It's like, oh, guys, why, why, why? You know, it's a little bit humorous, even for him. And I sometimes think that's similarly the way he views our sin. I know I told you we wouldn't talk about sin, but well, we'll see. 
leading going forward. And look, I'm not talking about things like murder and rape and incest. No, nothing, nothing like that. It's the other things. All right. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. I don't want to. I don't want to, you know, steal my thunder or whatever. Next week in three eight, we're going to see something so beautiful about God. He's not angry and judgmental and harsh and mean. He's just loving and forgiving, as he always has been and always will be. That's going to come out in Genesis 3.8. Hope you join me for that. Well, because you and I struggle with failure in our lives all the time, the truth from Genesis 3.8 we're going to see is that God is always with you. He's not leaving you or abandoning you or forgetting about you. He's not even punishing you. God doesn't punish you for your sin. You'll be encouraged. So make sure you join us next week in that study of Genesis 3.8. All right? And don't forget, sign up for one of those N.T. Wright classes. I've taken two or three. We've taken that uh, class on Romans next. They're all under $50 right now. So to sign up, just go over to any blog post on my website. Look for the links on the right. You could even go to the show notes for this podcast episode, which are found at redeeminggod.com slash Genesis 3-7. So uh, thanks for listening. And join us next week as we learn some very encouraging truths from Genesis 3-8 about God and the way he responds to Adam and Eve's failure to obey him, which shows us how he also responds to our failure when we disobey him. If you've ever disobeyed God, that is the podcast episode you want to hear. (laughs) See you then. 